Well, my name is Chad. I serve as one of the pastors here at LifePoint and also with the SEND Network, uh, helping plant churches in, the, in our city. If you're our guest uh, here today, we're super thankful that you're here, that you've braved uh, the weather to come be a part of the service today. If you would, take out your phone and scan the QR code in front of you on the, the seat in front of you there. It's going to take you to lpguest.com, or you can just open up your web browser and go to lpguest.com. A couple of reasons we would ask you to do that. First of all, there's message notes there where you can follow along with the message. You can even make your own notes to save for later to kind of cement what God's doing in your heart this morning through his activity. Uh, but there's also a guest card on that, uh, on that page that we would love for you to fill out. And if you will, we will donate $5 in your honor to one of the five ministries that we partner with. You get to pick which one and you get to do something a little, a little good and kind today just for being our guest. Um, we're in our series that we're calling Not Without Hope as we kind of journey through the New Testament letter of Paul to the church at Thessalonica. And we've been talking about this idea uh, of hope and we've kind of landed on the definition of hope as the spiritual ability to imagine a better future. The spiritual ability to imagine a better future. And we've talked about the big idea of this series being that Jesus is the source of enduring hope. I hope as, as we've been going through this series, you've taken advantage of the devotional materials on the LifePoint app. If you go into the LifePoint app, as uh, soon as you open it, you'll have a, there'll be a box there that says LifePoint Drivecast. If you click on that uh, Drivecast box there, it'll take you to a section where you can tap notes and that'll bring up the devotion for you. Every day of the week, we have Drivecast. It's a summary of the message that all our teaching pastors at our different campuses are teaching. But we also have for this series, a devotional that's written by our writing team just for you. So I hope that you'll take advantage of that as we walk through 1 Thessalonians. Today, we're gonna to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter three mainly, but we're gonna also look at chapter four a little bit. And we wanna keep looking at this idea of hope but today specifically, I want us to think about three ways that Christian community uniquely gives us hope. Three ways that the, the Christian community itself, the church, um, gives us hope. And the first one I want us to see this morning is that Christian community is the key to comfort. Christian community is the key to comfort. Let's see what it says here uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter three and verses one through five. It says, therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's coworker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one would be moved by these afflictions for you yourselves know that we're destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. And just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and that our labor would be in vain. I have this suspicion this morning, if I were to pull the audience and ask, what is the number one reason for why you have hope in this life? I feel like the odds are pretty good in church that most of us would point to our relationship with God that our relationship with God is the main source for why we have hope in the world. In fact, I often wonder how people have hope in our world apart from a relationship with God. Do you ever wonder how they, 
how they do that. How do you live life without a relationship with God? But I wanna submit to you this morning that we have grossly underestimated the importance and impact that Christian church community relationships have on our hope. We've totally underestimated it. That to really have hope, I think you need to belong to a community. We see this in 1 Thessalonians. We just read this passage where Paul says, when we could bear it no longer, when we could bear it no longer, you can see as he's talking about the believers in Thessalonica that he has a deep longing and love for them. He was was, um, worried about how they were doing. And he said, when I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to you. He sent Timothy on a short-term mission trip to the church at Thessalonica just to see how they were doing. Paul couldn't FaceTime the believers in Thessalonica. He couldn't shoot a text real quick. He couldn't get on a plane. He couldn't even get in a car. So all he had was to send Timothy. (laughs) And that was pretty good. He sent Timothy. He sent Timothy to the church to see how they we're doing. And I think when it comes to our hope in this world, this shows us that we need people in our lives to have a sustained hope. I mean, think about it. We serve an invisible God. We worship an invisible God. And yes, we can sense his presence through his word and through the Holy Spirit. We can hear his voice in the scriptures, but sometimes you just need a person, right? Have you found yourself in that place? Sometimes when when things are, are, are maybe not going the way that you hoped they would go, sometimes you just need a person. You've ever heard someone say, I feel like my prayers aren't really getting above the ceiling. What we need in that moment maybe is, is more prayer, but what we, we also might need is just a person. Someone with flesh and bones that we can get in the same room with. And that's what Paul's talking about, this Christian community. It's the key to comfort. Paul mentions in verse seven here, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. So Paul uses this term brother here in in verse seven, but he uses the term brother 17 times in these five chapters, 17 times. So when Paul is talking about Christian community, he's saying, hey, it's more than friends, it's really family. God is our father. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a family relationship. And this is what gives us a sustained hope, this family relationship that we have with each other. And we need this community. We need this family. He says in verses three and seven here, no one uh, be moved by these afflictions for you yourself know that we're destined for this. And for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. So Paul mentions this suffering and these afflictions that he and his teammates are enduring uh, while they're trying to do the missionary work of God. And the thing that he says brings them, him comfort and brings his team comfort is what? Not God himself, although surely he was comforted by God, but he says it's the Thessalonian believers that are a comfort to him. See, we, we need people. Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 1, he says, God comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort we have received by God. So in other words, God wants to comfort us then to use us to comfort others. That's what Christian community is for, to bring this sense of comfort to each other. In other words, God doesn't just comfort you and comfort me so we can do spiritual snow angels in his comfort. 
Like just waller around in it and enjoy it. That's not the only purpose. Does God want you to be comforted? Yes. But God wants to then use you to be the hands and feet of Jesus to comfort others. And I think this is unique uh, with Christian community. You can get community a lot of places. You can gather around a similar sports team with other people. You can get involved in causes in the world, all sorts of good causes with other people. You can even find community at work and through your job and career. But I think Christian community is so unique in this way. Paul is saying, look, suffering is inevitable. He says, don't be surprised. You knew this suffering was coming and I think suffering is inevitable, not just for first first century missionary teams, but it's also inevitable for any of us who are gonna live on this planet for any length of time. We will experience suffering. We will experience difficulty. And what is the thing that we need in the midst of that? We need comfort from other believers. We need the presence of other people in our lives. And this is unique, I think, to Christian community. If you read the story of Job, I don't think anybody suffered more than Job. No human being on the human history on the face of the planet uh, suffered more than Job did. And Job had three friends who got a lot of things wrong when they went to comfort Job. They talked way too much. They gave way too much advice. And there's no documentation that they ever made him a casserole, (laughs) which we all know is the, what you do when someone is hurting, right? But they did, they did do something, right? They came to Job in Job chapter two, And it says that they sat with Job for seven days. Listen to this, Job chapter two says, now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each to his own place. Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Nehemathite. And and they made an appointment together to come and show sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they didn't recognize him. That's how much Job was suffering. And they raised their voices and wept and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven and they sat with him on the ground listen for seven days and seven nights and no one spoke a word for they saw how great the suffering that he was going through was seven days I mean they should have quit while they were ahead this is the only thing they did well seven days I can't go seven minutes without talking and they went seven days without TikTok and Netflix. They went seven days sitting with Job. It's amazing, isn't it? Offering them, offering Job simply their presence. This is a common Jewish practice these days, uh, still carried on even in the Jewish community. And it is called sitting Shiva. It's very important how you pronounce those two words together. That H, that H is uh, crucial. <laughs> Sitting Shiva. All right. I just I wanted to make it through that part of the message. That was the only goal today. <laughs> and I, I'm convinced we need this. And that this is, this is unique because of the hope we have in Jesus. We, we offer our presence to one another. And we don't have to say the right things. We don't have to offer advice. 
We can just be. And this, this type of community we're talking about, it's the key to comfort. But if we don't cultivate it in advance, I'm afraid it's gonna be difficult. Look, suffering's coming. And if we haven't cultivated community before a crisis, I think it's impossible to depend upon that community when we're in a crisis. So it's crucial for us to take steps to cultivating community. So Christian community is unique in that it's the key to comfort. But Paul says something else about Christian community in this passage. He says, Christian community is a catalyst for mission. It's a catalyst for mission. Look at verses one and two of chapter three. Here's what it says. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's coworker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith. Paul, Paul wrote a lot of letters. He did a lot of work. The New Testament tells us as you read about Paul, you'll see something about him every time. He never did anything alone. Never did anything alone. Everywhere Paul went, he's with somebody else. Everything Paul did, he's doing it with somebody else. Paul believed that his mission was a team mission, that Christianity is a team sport. Even as he's writing, you can hear the plural pronouns that he's using. We could bear it no longer. We sent our brother Timothy to you. So he's talking about this community of people. What's interesting is in this passage, we don't have the, all the team members named. We only have Paul and Timothy, but there were others. There were others with Paul. Paul always had a team. But these are people that we've never heard of and we'll never know their name. And yet here they are serving the greatest missionary in Christian history, the Apostle Paul. Many of you, probably have heard the name Tom Brady. Of course we have. Probably the greatest quarterback to ever play professional football. Unfortunately, he was from the University of Michigan, right, for many of us. But he is great. Tom Brady's a great quarterback. But have you heard of Robert Hainsey? Do you know who Robert Hainsey is? Many of us probably don't. He's the starting center for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Never heard of Tom, ever heard of Robert Hainsey. Probably, probably never heard of him. But if Robert doesn't do his job, Tom never gets the ball to do his job. You have to have a center for the quarterback to get the ball. Now, it really didn't matter what Tom Brady did with the ball this season. The Bucks were not very good. But without Robert Hainsey, Tom Brady can't get the ball to do what he does. And you've never heard of him. Never heard of him. Odds are, me and you are not gonna go down in the history books as some of the greatest Christians to ever live. We, we won't be like the Apostle Paul. No, we're not gonna be writing scripture for anybody. We'll likely not go on all the missions that he went on and probably most of us will never be in prison for our faith like he was. And, and yet there's a group of people behind the Apostle Paul and behind Timothy who are a part of his team who will never know about who God is using to expand his kingdom all over the world. People just like us, the Robert Hainseys of the world. I think, I think sometimes we get focused on, look, we think just because I can't do everything for the kingdom, it means I'm not gonna do anything for the kingdom. 
You know, it, it gets overwhelming. This mission that God's given us, it gets overwhelming. We go, I, if I can't do the big stuff, I'm not even gonna do the little. I mean, what, what little do I have to give? We start focusing on what we can't do instead of seeing what we can do. We start getting focused on what we don't have instead of what we do have. Paul said, we, us, he had a team. Christian community is unique because all of us have a place in God's mission. All of us have a place in God's mission. Uh, the Riggs family have embraced this idea with their life group. By the way, we've just launched a, a new term of life groups uh, this past week. If you're not involved in a life group, we'd encourage you to get involved in one. There's a, uh, one of these out back in the lobby. It's a life group catalog. It's got all the life groups in here for this term. Uh, also, Nathan, who's one of our Campus Life Pastors is gonna be back at Guest Central. If you wanna connect with him after the service, there's, um, he could definitely get you connected to a group. But the Riggs are, are foster parents. And through their experience in, in foster parenting, they have, have now started a life group to help other people get connected to foster parenting. And it's amazing. They're, they're using something that God has given them a passion for, that God has burdened them for, something that they love, something that they have, and they're now using it to help others impact the kingdom of God in this way. And some of us should probably join them in that. I think, I think some of us should. But then still others of us should, we've got other things that we've got, other passions that we have, other things that we love that God wants to use to expand his kingdom. So the question is, what is it? What do you have? to offer. I think it's super easy when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to his church, we just get kind of lulled to sleep and thinking, I can't do that. I can't do that. I don't have this. I don't have that. And so we find ourselves kind of becoming spectators of an event instead of participants in a mission. But Paul says, no, 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 listen, this is a team sport. Everybody has a role to play. Everybody can impact the kingdom in unique ways. Think about it. Think about this room of people. Think about the number of people who are just in this room, the amount of resources, the amount of connections, and the amount of leverage for the kingdom of God that's right here. You don't have to write scripture to have an impact on God's kingdom. Take what you have, take what you can do, and take a step. Christian community is a catalyst for mission. You don't, look, no one person is a football team. Tom Brady is not the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's just one person. It takes a group of people to be a football team. No one person is the church. No one person is the body of Christ. No one person is the kingdom of God. You have a role to play in the body and the kingdom. It takes, it takes a community. If you think about it, every, everybody is a part of a team, really, everybody. Even the most individual sport in the world, golf, the golfer has a caddy. We, 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 all, we all need a team. When I started thinking about amazing things that teams have done over the years, I couldn't help but think about Frodo Baggins. I know, it's not even a real example. I mean, just, do Frodo and Sam even get to Mordor without the Fellowship of the Ring? Probably not. E even Superman, Superman, the man of steel, the greatest superhero ever needed a team, the Justice League. Those aren't real examples, I get that. So let's just skip to the main thing. Jesus himself, okay, Jesus had a team. 
Jesus had a team. Jesus had a group of 12 disciples. Most, most of them we don't know anything about. We know their name, but we don't have any other details. Sure, we know who Peter is. We know who John is. That's about it. I mean, do you know what Bartholomew did? Thaddeus? Like we, we can't even name them, much less know what they did. It's not even in scripture. We don't have anything written about them. And yet, guess what? We're here in this room because of those 12 individuals because they took up the mission of Jesus as a part of his team. Not to mention the countless others that Jesus had as a part of his team. He one time sent out 72 people. Who were those people? We don't know, but they were a part of his team. Everybody has a place on the team to impact the kingdom of God. And look, Jesus is still sending teams all over the world. All over the world, Jesus is sending teams. And we get the privilege of being a part of that here at LifePoint. We get the privilege of being a part of, of not only being a part of a team that's sent, but we get the privilege of being part of sending teams. And I would like to ask our missions pastor, Kyle Connell, to come. And he's gonna share with us some of the upcoming teams that are being sent out from our church. And he's gonna lead us in a time of commissioning. Kyle. Thanks, Chad. Hey, it's such a joy to be able to stand here today. As Chad said, my name's Kyle. I serve as the missions director here at Lewis Center Campus. And man, because of your generosity last year to the WOW offering, our missions offering, I'm super grateful, right? We are gonna commission five teams this morning that are going across the globe over the course of the next four months. We've got a team that leaves for Uganda this week, in fact. We've got a team that's going to Cuba. We've got a team that will be going to Malawi a team that is going to Spain, and then we've got one more. What is that one? Anybody? Nepal. <laughs> Nepal. And so God is on the move. And as Chad said, we get to be a part of that. And as a team, some of you are sitting right there. You're thinking, I need to go. You do. I'll acknowledge it for you. Right? Acts 1.8 says that God's Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will have power and be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And if you sense that God's calling you to go, we have just recently, as of Thursday, updated our mission site. So if you go to lifepointohio.com backslash missions, it's a brand new look. It's easy to follow and all of our partners are there and you can actually register. You can register for Uganda. We're gonna go back to Uganda in August. You can register for a trip in India in September. You can still register for Nepal. There's opportunities for you today to do that. And if you sense the Lord leading you, oh, man, please go there and do that. And we would encourage you that way. Also, we want to pray. We want to pray. And so there's going to be some prayer prompts on the screen behind me. If you have your camera, let me encourage you to take it out. Take a picture of that. I believe it might even be in the teacher's notes uh, on the app. And you can find those and follow through. With that, uh, as you're praying for these folks over the course of the next several days, uh, it's just an amazing opportunity. So if you would, I'm going to ask you to stand this morning with me, and we're just going to stand as a representation of all those that are going to these five cities, my five countries, excuse me, Uganda, Nepal, India, Spain, and Malawi. Would you pray with me, and we'll pray for these folks. Father, what a privilege to stand here united, God, as a community of believers and lift up these folks who have said, yes, I'm willing to go. I'm willing to leave my family, my children, 
my grandchildren, and I'm willing to go to some places that really don't want me here. Because the good news that I have to share is the greatest thing in all the world. So, Father, thank you for those that are going over the course of the next four months. Father, we pray that your hand of protection would be upon them, that, Father, they would be filled with the Holy Spirit and that the overflow of their lives would just exude Christ. Lord, that you would give them an opportunity to share and show the love of Christ to those around, that they would speak grace and truth into the lives of others, that they would be an encouragement to our church partners, that they would be an encouragement to church pastors and church planners, Lord, across the globe, that you would use them in a mighty way to share your glory and your name. Father, we pray that because of their ministry that many would come to know you as personal Savior and Lord. Father, I'm thankful for those in this room who, who can't go, Lord, but are willing to send people by praying for them, by funding them. God, it does take a community. And so, Father, I pray that you would just encourage us over the course of the next several weeks. Bring to mind the people that are on the trips. Bring to mind these countries where people are. And, Father, may we be faithful to pray for them as they do your work. Father, it's a joy and a privilege to partner with you. Father, continue to keep our minds, our ears open today as Chad continues to bring the word. Lord, help us to be challenged and encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, thanks. You can be seated. Thank you. Thanks, Kyle. So, Christian community is the key to comfort. Christian community is a catalyst for mission. There's one more thing, one more way that I think Christian community is unique in the world, and that is it's a source of hope. Christian community is a source of hope. Look here at chapter four. We're going to read verses 13 through 18 together. It says, but... We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no, there's that word again, hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of our Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. One of the main reasons that Paul writes letters to these churches is in order to answer questions and respond to questions that the churches, churches had. Um, so if you think about the, the Thessalonian believers, they're just like us, Christians in this world, if you're a believer here this morning, Christians in this world trying to figure out what it looks like to live out their faith in their world. And so they, they had questions. They didn't have the New Testament because Paul was still writing it. It was still being written. They had the Old Testament, but some of them were Jew, not Jewish. They were Gentiles. They didn't come from a Jewish background, so they didn't always have access to the Old Testament. And so they didn't have the New Testament as, as a guide. And so they would write to Paul and they would say, we have questions about those who are believers, who, who know Jesus, who've now fallen asleep, who've died. What's gonna happen with them? What, what happens, Paul? And so they bring their questions to him. And I wanna to get to the content of what Paul's response is here in a minute. 
But I just want to think about that for a second and point out that Christian community should be unique in the world and that it's a place we can bring our questions. It's a place we can bring our doubts. It's a place that we can bring our struggles to. Christian community should be unique in that way, that we don't have to have it all figured out to belong. And I think that's what the Thessalonian believers show us. Uh, we need a place like that. To, for, for a lot of people, I think our tendency is to, we start having questions, we start having doubts, we don't have it figured out, we don't have it all together, and so we think, you know what, I'm just gonna pull out of this. I'm just gonna move away from this community. And I think Paul's encouraging us through the Thessalonian church, no, you need to press into community. Really, errors in theology thrive in isolation. <laughs> we, we, we need to protect each other through Christian community. Part, part of what Paul is, is teaching here has traditionally been called the rapture. This idea that Jesus is coming back and he's gonna call his people to himself. Some of the dead of the dead in Christ will rise first and then those who are left will be called up with him and they will go back to, to heaven with him. Um, it's called, called the rapture. It's also called the second coming of Christ, the return of Christ. Some even call it the day of the Lord. And there's, there's some discussion around this idea of the rapture. Most everybody believes that Jesus is coming back. That's a pretty standard Christian theological belief. But when he's coming back is up for a lot of debate. It's mainly around this idea that we find it not in First Thessalonians, but in the book of Revelation, a seven-year period of time called the tribulation. Seven years in which the earth will really descend into the greatest chaos in human history, which is saying something about what that's going to be like. And some people think the rapture is gonna happen before the tribulation, before those seven years. And so they, they think that Jesus is gonna come get his people and get out of there and then everything's gonna go down. Some people think, no, 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 it's gonna happen in the middle of the tribulation. Somewhere in the middle of those seven years, Jesus is gonna come back and get his people out of there. And then still others think, no, we're gonna go, that, go through that with everybody else, but it's the end of the tribulation. That's when the rapture is gonna happen. And so there's even designations for this. You can be pre-trib, mid-trib, pre-wrath, or post-trib. Sounds great, doesn't it? If this interests you, <laughs> you might be a little weird. No, I'm just kidding. It's, it's, if this interests you, it's good. There's a lot of smart people, a lot of different views on this. If this interests you, there's a life group for this. Uh, you go to uh, the catalog, go to bridge groups. There's a, a bridge group on what's called eschatology. That's, that's the study of the end times. And it's led by Beth Field, starts in February. It's for six weeks. It's in the Life Group catalog. Check that out. A great place to explore these kind of ideas. Uh, there's also a book that Zondervan published, a uh, Christian publisher, called Three Views of the Rapture. A very creative name, Three Views of the Rapture. So if you want to learn more about that, you're welcome to check that out. But honestly... There's a lot of misinformation about these kind of things out there. A lot of misinformation. And, and Paul was writing to help clear up some of this confusion for the Thessalonian believers. And I think there's some application for us too. Because if you're not careful, you, you can go down a rabbit hole with these kind of things and get in the weeds on these kind of, kind of um, topics that are, that are honestly and frankly unhealthy. Many people have developed an unhealthy obsession with the end times. If you don't believe me, just Google it, okay? 
Now, I've known people who only want to study the end times when it comes to the Bible. They want to eliminate every mystery as it pertains to the future. And when they study the Bible, everything is a symbol. Every rock is Jesus, every tree is a cross, and every number has some kind of special meaning. And listen, I'm not saying there aren't symbols in the Bible, but you can go down the rabbit hole so far that the only thing that matters is what's gonna happen at the end. And I think that misses the point. Well, I don't think Paul's primarily writing here just about theological things he wants us to know or believe. Paul is writing here to give us hope. Not to mention that we're 2000 years removed from these writings, 2000 years, we're outsiders. We're not insiders. We're not the original audience, we're kind of, from the outside looking in. It doesn't mean that it's not for us, it is for us, but we have to be careful how we approach these things. And we're not gonna be able to figure out what every little thing means, we're just not. And so Christian community is what kind of keeps us out of the ditches theologically. Um, Just to give you an example of when things kind of start to go a little bit bad, there's a guy named Edgar Wisenant who wrote 88 reasons why Jesus will return in 1988. When that didn't happen, he wrote a book called 89 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1989. He did take 1990, 91, and 92 off, but he came back and wrote a book about in 1993 and in 94, and then he quit writing. I think all of these things are out of print, by the way. So so there is a way to approach these things where we kind of get in the weeds and we miss the point. What is the point? Well, Paul tells us what the point is here in the text. Paul says, I'm writing these things so that you might have hope. So that you might know that this thing, this Christianity thing, this Jesus thing is not what's just true about Christianity, it's what's true of the world. And that this thing is going somewhere, that our our planet is going somewhere, that Christianity is going somewhere, that this human time is going somewhere. And I want you to have hope. And I think the clearest picture of hope I can give you today, if I'm gonna be like the Apostle Paul and try to leave you with something hopeful, it comes from Revelation 21. And I think this is where this whole thing is headed. Revelation 21 says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. That's where this thing is headed. (laughs) You want some hope this morning? That's what Jesus is gonna do. Jesus is gonna come back and bring new heaven and new earth. He's gonna restore all things. How many things? All things, all things. That's where this Christianity thing is headed. That's where this world is headed. The question is, where is your life headed? Where's your life headed? Do Do you have this kind of hope? If not, we would love to invite, invite you and introduce you to Jesus today. 
And the great thing about getting Jesus is you get us too, congratulations. You get the church, you get the community of people. It's not perfect, we are not perfect, we are a bit of a mess if I'm being honest with you. But I think Christian community is the most unique place in the world for comfort, mission, and hope. We wanna invite you into it today, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the hope we have in Jesus that he is coming back. But until he does, God, you have left us on this earth with a community of people, a unique community in the world, God, where we can have comfort when we're suffering, we can have purpose through your mission, and we can have hope no matter the circumstances. God, I pray if there's someone here today who doesn't know the hope of Jesus, I pray that they would come to know that today. And Lord, I pray that you would help us all to take a step toward cultivating community. For some of us, that's joining a life group. For some of us, that's joining this church. God, whatever it is, I pray that you'd help us to take that step so that we might be able to experience you and your body the way that we were meant to. And we pray all this in Jesus' name.